Thank you. Thank you. It was a, a pleasure to be asked to do this lecture. And I realize that for many of you who are younger and just getting into the profession, it may seem uh, a little pointless to talk about this. We promise not to get too maudlin. It's not that important in one sense, and in another it is. Where your origins were and how it came down might interest some of you. And some of you probably know a few of the older PAs and maybe have heard rumors about how things got started. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I just, we just had a meeting in Oklahoma City uh, a couple of weeks ago of the leaders of the original um, PA profession itself. We had Bill Stanhope and Tom Gob Godkins, for example, who were the first and second uh, uh, presidents of AAPA. And we had a gathering of about 50 PAs who had practiced more than 30 years and told war stories for two hours and got it all on videotape. It's very interesting uh, to hear how the old days and see how things came down. And we're not going to get into two hours or anything near it. So we're going to talk about where we've been, where we are, where we're going. Everybody here knows that our numbers are taking off. You may not really know why, and that's one of the things we're going to talk about. But I thank you for asking me to come. As near as I can tell, the very first honest-to-goodness PA was someone that many of you know, the ones of you who live in South Carolina may know, may know Tom Hokinson. And Tom... Uh, was the, as near as I can determine, the very first Durham PA. And he was at Dartmouth in the early 70s. I believe he started there at the VA and at Dartmouth in 1972. And he was there when Tom Habif, yes, that Habif, what people call Habif, was a resident. It's been that long ago. And I've talked to Tom Habif about Tom Hokinson, and Tom Habif was stunned to find that a PA knew that much dermatology. Uh, and he was held in great esteem there in, in New Hampshire at Dartmouth and, in, and at the VA. Uh, Tom has practiced for many years, still practices part-time. I talked to him just a few days ago. His, his, his history is very interesting, and we'll talk more about his uh, uh, time in the early days as a PA. Most of the first Durham PAs were in primary care settings to begin with, and that's how I got started. I got started in internal medicine, and the truth is, the absolute God's truth was, I was so bad at dermatology that it was pitiful. And I was in the Kaiser system at that time in the Northwest, Pacific Northwest, and the only way, I, it took me three and a half to four months to get a patient into Durham. A routine referral took three and a half to four months. So I thought, I guess I'm going to have to learn some Durham, whether I like it or not. I had slept through most of my lectures at OU in Durham. I just couldn't, Durham was like so boring. You know, it's two o'clock in the afternoon in PA program and they're putting up slides of, now we've got a picture of this, and now a picture of this. And it's like, oh my word. How important could this stuff be? But I found out it was important because I found out I was dismal in dermatology. So 
as with me and a lot of PAs, they started doing dermatology in a primary care setting. Many, many PAs who wound up doing derm started in the VA system as well. When I started doing dermatology, I went to the dermatology, when I wanted to get better at derm, I went to the dermatology department and their attitude was, son, you can't get there from here. You know, it's like derm, you, PAs may, able, may be able to do cardiology or emergency medicine or surgery or primary care. Derm, uh-uh, too hard, can't do that. That's really their attitude. They were just very emphatic about it. They weren't nasty about it. But of course, that was the wrong thing to say to me. So I thought, well, I came from the lab. I was a medical technologist. I know microbiology. I know histology. I've got a good run up with this stuff already, so I'll just get the books and start working. Some of you may know that dermatology was also the field of dermatology and venereology or syphilology. That was the case all the way up into the 50s and 60s in this country because syphilis was so dominant in the scene. And as a matter of fact, one of the reasons dermatology was not held in high esteem as a profession back then was because all the nasty, brutish problems like syphilis fell to dermatology. Some of you may also be aware that in Sweden and Finland and some other countries in Europe, the field is still known as dermatology and venereology. In fact, there are journals of dermatology and venereology. It just has hung on. Thank goodness these days, for most of us, that's a little bit smaller issue. We do have PAs that practice in HIV settings. I'll bet some of them are in this room. A little bit different. Now, derm was not the number one issue with most PAs. And, and it's true, just as with physicians now, dermatology was misperceived by everybody, including PAs. Uh, they're nothing but a bunch of pimple poppers, right? This is like Seinfeld. You know, if you've ever seen the episode on Seinfeld, you know. Seinfeld changes his mind when he finds out that dermatologists actually deal with serious life-threatening disease. And the way it was perceived by a lot of PAs in the old days is that you can't do anything and there's not much to do. You're going to leave all your medicine training behind and there's no prestige and more than that, there's no money. That was the way it was. So there weren't many PAs going into dermatology. And the truth is, prior to the 1990s, really if you go back into the 50s, 60s, and 70s, for an MD to get into a derm residency was very easy. There were exceptions. But for the most part, to get into a derm residency, let's say in 1975, for a physician, they just had to show up. Warm body. They had to complete it, give them a lot of credit. It's not the way it is now. There was not the competition for the slots back then because it wasn't as lucrative. It wasn't perceived as being in the same vein that it is now. They weren't able to do as much. Most derms didn't do surgery. Very few did cosmetic dermatology. Managed care is what came along and kicked everybody out of their state of lethargy. By the way, those of you who work with DOs, and I bet there's a lot of you. Can I get a show of hands of DP who work with DO dermatologists? Yeah, an awful lot of you. You may or may not be aware 
that prior to the 1990s, they were not accepted well at all by the American Academy of Dermatology crowd. They were not considered to be real dermatologists. In my town in Tulsa, until 2000, the year 2000, DO derms were not allowed to go to the city or state derm conferences. Now, I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's the way it was. As a matter of fact, I don't think it is right. But you can imagine if they thought that way of DOs, what they think of a PA, you know, because PA stands for other things too, right? Like parking attendant and, I mean, who knows what a PA is, right? <clears throat> Most of the uh, osteopaths in the old days, uh, when they did a residency, <clears throat> was actually an on-the-job three-year, you know, training program where you attached yourself to a dermatologist and you were cheap labor for three years. As I said, they could not, most DO derms could not join most state and local derm societies. That's changed to a large extent, but not totally. There's still a lot of prejudice against DO derms. And you know, some of you may not be aware of this thing. The younger ones of you may not be aware of this. Walter Shelley is arguably the preeminent dermatologist emeritus. He's in the twilight of his career. He's in, in Toledo, at least last time I heard, right? I hear two, see two heads going up and down. And his wife, I should mention, Dorinda, they got, he, Walter got into dermatology because he couldn't hear enough to do cardiology. He could not hear the murmurs and the heartbeats enough, and he was so disappointed he got conned into going into derm. And so he made a wonderful career out of that. He became a real shining light of the career. But he was astonished. I've actually talked to him about it. He's a great big tall guy. He's taller than I am. He's a big guy. And I think he's pushing 90 now. And he's like in the late 80s at least, yeah. He was astonished, he, said, he told me, to learn how substantive derm was. He had misperceived it as well. He became one of the top dermatologists of his day. But along comes, I just want to give you a little history. Along comes in the 1990s, early 1990s, managed care, which meant that the practice was paid a set amount per patient per month and that a dermatologist would agree to take on 20,000 patients and provide all their care, regardless of what it would be, for so much money per member per month. And so volume became the king. And all of a sudden, dermatologists are scrambling to try to figure out how to deal with that reality. It drove a lot of derms out of managed care and into cosmetics, but then they discovered, holy crap, most dermatologists, as you know, they don't like to do the lasers. They think they do until they go do it, right? And they find their attention span is much too short. So they want to hire somebody else to do it. But it also left a vacuum in clinical dermatology, and so all those factors are what spurred us to, to come on the scene, and that's when our numbers started growing. All of you know this, cosmetic procedures have become the rage all over the world, and this appears to be a durable trend. There are 24-hour clinics all over South America where you can go get a nose job and you'll get scheduled at 3.30 a.m., and they'll do one after the other. Um, it is, and it's not, it's not just about Botox and collagen, it's about all sorts of cosmetic procedures. But it, all of this creates a need for all types of derm providers, and that's where we come in. Now, in HMOs, you had HMOs like Kaiser and some others. As I said, there were 
issues there of having to wait a long time to get your patients in to be seen. Uh, the first dermatology PA with the largest HMO at that time was about 1984. I don't know if anybody here knows Larry Dennis. Larry's not doing derm anymore, but he did for a while. Uh, he was the very, very first derm PA, PA in the Pacific Northwest. The first live derm PA I ever laid eyes on was Rick Sartori. Is Rick here? Oh, Rick is from Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I was sitting in a hotel, and I've got this 1991 or 92. It actually was 1990. And I was sitting in the Grand Hyatt in Washington, D.C., right by the Capitol. And I was eating lunch, and I did a double take and looked next door to me, and there were two gentlemen there. And I struck up a conversation, and out of the entire city of Washington, D.C., I had chosen to sit next to Rick Sartori, P.A., and his boss, Craig Cattell, MD, dermatologist and derm PA in, in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So we struck up a conversation, <clears throat> and that began to pique my interest about, well, how many of us are there out there? You know, you couldn't tell. Nobody knew. So I went to work, and my wife, then wife, Mary Monroe, and I went to work and decided, heck, we'll just form a society of dermatology PAs, only we won't call it that. We're going to call it PAD. Physician Assistants in Dermatology. We went to work trying to identify derm PAs in the U.S. We put ads in the JAPA. We put ads in all the different journals, and there were only two or three in those days, and made phone calls, and after months and months and months, we could identify a grand total of six. <laughs> now, we figure, we now know there probably were about 10 or 12. But that's all we could positively identify. That was about the time that I uh, started talking to O.J. On, who's here, who was already in the Bay Area, and uh, Woody Stroud, and Jim Page, and some other people. And I talked to these people by phone. Some of you may know some of those names. Some of these, these people I just named are all here. So the fledgling group grew, I put it in quotes, as more darn PAs were, were identified. And we started going to uh, putting more ads out, going to AAD, putting out the word of mouth. And in New Orleans in 1994, we had our first meeting with about 20 darn PAs in attendance. And I'm going to show you some photographs in a minute of those people. We had pizza. In one room, we all met in one room. All the darn PAs in the world were in that little small Embassy Suites hotel room. And we mostly sat on the beds and, you know, in a motel room, where, where do you sit, you know, at the desk. And I brought some slides of cases. I was already into to medical photography and I brought some slides. I thought, stupid me, I, I wanted to talk about dermatology, you know. It's like, I wanted to show the slides and tell war stories, you know. No, but no, not many people were interested in that. They mostly were interested in just getting together and creating the organization. So we agreed to form the organization. Obviously, I was the first president. We agreed to, that we had a goal of exhibiting at AAD. We couldn't do it in 1994 because it cost a lot of money. The, the, we had to, to, to exhibit at AAD in 1994 would have cost 
$2,700. And of course, we didn't, we didn't have that. But we knew we needed to be in there. Now, there's a photograph of that first group. Okay? And I'm sorry to say that I don't know all of these names anymore. I know most of them. I was obviously taking the picture. This is, shine up here. This is Curtis Opp. Let me go this way. Curtis Opp is in San Francisco. Sue Rancis in, in Colorado, in the Denver area. A lot of you know her. This is Mary Monroe, my former wife. Jerry Davidson was a PA at that time. Had gone to work for dermatologist in Medford, Oregon. Jerry is now deceased. There's Rick Sartori, the aforementioned Rick. Nancy Heller, Jim Lakis. A lot of you know Jim. He still practices in Georgia. Jim's been at it a while. Nancy Finley, Terry Beck, Rosemary Palting. And I am ashamed. I know her. Is she still around? What's her name? Pat Zanoli. Yep, she's gotten married and changed it, but it was Pat Zanoli then, that's right. Very nice person. She was terminally shy in those days. I think she's gotten over that. I think that's, she's still shy? Okay. Right. She's a very beautiful person. So we, we uh, Linda Finley, you can barely see the top of her, was in Baker, Bakersfield, California. I think she's retired now. So that was the first group. Now, Jim Page was in New Orleans too at that time, but he had someplace else to be at this time. But he was there because I ran him down on the street. Right, Jim? Right. Yep, he's back there. Jim had started doing dermatology uh, out of PA school and uh, got out in 72, right, Jim? 74. So he's been doing derm since then, was doing some before that. Now, we, 1996 or 97, none of us can remember, but we, we had our first booth at AAD. And it, by then, it cost us three grand. And I wanted to give ortho. I talked to the uh, ortho rep yesterday, and I said, I'll give you all credit. You guys were the first ones to step up and support us. They forked over $3,000 for us to have a 10-foot wide booth at AAD. And it was very controversial, our being there. Many jobs were created. We created 55, 60 jobs at that, at that meeting. When I say create, we did a matching. That was sort of our focus, is to try to grow the profession by forming jobs. As I said, the reactions from Derms varied. This is not at that meeting, but this is the same booth that we had. We quickly got a little board made up that we could paste stuff onto there. It's real classy. This looks like war surplus, you know, it's like, it's like, it's grim, isn't it? You know, some of you might recognize Mike Carls back here from Atlanta. I don't know if he was from Atlanta then. I don't know if he's still there. Uh, Sue Schooler is her name. It's Mary Monroe. So we had a lot of things going on. If you see this picture in the front, what I had there was an enlarged picture of a rotten apple but I enlarged it so much that you couldn't tell that it wasn't skin. And so we had people come by and say, what in the hell is that? And we'd make them guess, and we'd finally tell them it was a wormhole in an apple. <laughs> but it was a way to suck them in out of the aisles and bring them over to talk. 
But the response at AAD, we'd have a dermatologist, Dr. Schasser from Kentucky, who had left Arkansas and gone to head up the Kentucky program in those days, walked by, pulled out a credit card and said, I'll take two now. I mean, he was covered. I said, what's going on? He said, we're covered up with patients. We need help. We created a few outright enemies. We had people come by, and I don't think anybody spat, but they were definite hisses, serious, like, <laughs> like that. Uh, I remember that first one. We had Bernie Ackerman come by. And he was very affable. I, I, we had a little area where we'd take special people over and sit down and chit-chat with them and schmooze with them and kind of make nice. And Bernie was one of those. And I still correspond with Bernie to this day. Uh, but we knew we were on the right track, and we knew because we could start to see a pattern here. There was interest starting to grow about Durham PAs. Uh, it was it was it was it was not the tidal wave, the, the tsunami that it is now, but it was it was definitely growth. They, in those days, and they being AAD, would not allow PAs to register as a PA. There was simply no category for PAs in the registration. You were either a dermatologist or you were office staff. So we were office staff. And there are a bunch of you in this room that used to go in those days, and we used to have to take our name tag out and write in PA at the end. And we did that because we wanted other PAs to see that and stop and talk. We wanted to be identified as that. We could not even get identified. We had to be holding our SP's hand, you know, when you went in. We didn't want to get lost here and, <laughs> okay, I'll go in. It was so, so, you literally didn't have to do that, but they had to be there. They had to be registered and they had to be there that day that you were there. If they were not there that day, you couldn't. Um, I know the fellow that made the decision to do that, and he thinks it's goofy now, too, but that's just the way it was. <clears throat> In fact, speak of the devil. Ray Cornelison is a dermatologist, and he now is the head of the OU program, University of Oklahoma program in Oklahoma City, was the president of AAD, and he made it difficult for Durham PAs to attend. He didn't like us. He didn't want any more of us around. He w could not have been more vitriolic about his opposition to Durham PAs. Uh, and those of us who were in the meeting with him along about that time can attest. He, uh, steam was coming off his forehead, red face, talking about he wasn't happy that we even existed. But in the 2000s, we began to come along. We began to have leaders come along. Greg Batoff, I, I will credit with a huge leap forward for SDPA in terms of, it, of education. He's the one that began to put together these larger CME conferences. And we put, uh, as you know, uh, to wit, uh, here we go, here we got this room. I'm getting much bigger. We're going to have to have two layers or two levels or something. Uh, so Greg was president and caused the CME to, to grow, and many other issues were solved in those days. Gordon Day, who's also here, was president back then. We made many strides under Gordon. Gloria was CME chairperson and did a fantastic job for two or three years. Gloria, was it two or three? She's probably not here. Yeah. Two and a half. Okay. All right. Robert Hyam was not CME chairperson, but he was president of, of uh, SDPA. Dan Hickey 
We have uh, uh, Bethany Grubb. Now we have these people stepping up. I know how it is when you're rank and file member out there. You think, well, this is just an exclusive club, and these people are kind of elitist, and they want to hang on to power, and they don't care to hear from anybody else. And it's not true. These are just down-to-earth people who just stepped up. You know how it is. 20% of the people always do 80% of the work, right? That's the way it works at church or school or anywhere. That's the way these people have done, so they deserve credit. We've had website development, uh, thanks in large part to this company called Radar and in large part to the influence of Robert Hyam, who continues to do a lot of work in the, the uh, uh, technical area. We began to have better newsletters. Uh, things just moved along nicely. As you all know, we have the Journal of the Dermatology Physician Assistance now with Travis Hayden, which is just something to really bust our buttons over. Mike and Rose Hawker should be mentioned as having a key play to key part in all this. They're the, the, if you haven't met them, they're the ones that are in charge, that are the owners of, in, of events made simple. They're the ones that help put this on, and they do far more than that for SDPA. They answer the phones. They are very selfless uh, people and key players in our success. What I'm told now is that the relations with the AAD have been changing, and we're in a very important time. The lights have come on at AAD with regard to PAs. They, are, they get it now. It's like... I don't know if you heard Dr. Paris or yesterday, the comments he made. He has, he and his practice have four PAs. He understands the value. He's about to be the president of AAD. Attitudes are changing. Uh, our contributions are starting to be understood. I think the distinction between Durham PAs and Durham nurse practitioners, and we mean, I mean no offense to the Durham nurse practitioner, the distinctions are starting to be understood. Uh, I think they understand that we're a terrific option. This is going to have many applications over time. By the way, Ray Cornelison, the aforementioned uh, curmudgeonly Ray, I could say that even if he were here, who now is the head of the OU Durham Department, former Durham PA basher, now has three, <laughs> is about to hire a fourth, has one even in a satellite situation, and can't say enough good things about him. You know, that's what happens is our former naysayers often become our biggest supporters. That's why you don't want to worry about naysayers too much, because their powerful objections often become their powerful support. Oklahoma has uh, 21 Durham, Durham PAs. Arkansas has five, and, and uh, uh, that, that may not sound like much to those of you in Dallas area or other areas, but it's tremendous progress. We are getting there. We are about to arrive. So I think there's going to be a membership category for PAs with AAD in the future that looks very much like that, so I am told. We, as you know, have the DLI and the Dermic Review and other educational offerings. Robert Hyam and others are busy developing online new media uh, uh, products and available products. If you haven't seen that, when you go out to the tent, go over there and look at those monitors and see what they're doing. It's incredible. Uh, we're getting much uh, help with the financial end of those from our, our uh, sponsoring pharmaceutical companies. 
who have been very generous with their support. We don't really know how many Durham PAs there are out there, but the best estimate is somewhere between 2,500 and 3,000. And one of the reasons it's hard to identify them is because they don't all step up. We know how many are members of this organization. We just don't know how many total members there are. Many people get into dermatology and they don't know about us, and we don't know about them. We're working on ways to, uh, to be able to identify them. But that's, in any case, we're, it's very, we're very clear that we've come up from this number, and we're very clear that the slope on the curve is headed this way. It looks like that about 28% of Durham practices in this country have at least one PA, and more importantly, that that growth curve extrapolates out to an even greater percent. You may not be aware, but there are fewer than 9,000 dermatologists who practice clinical derm in this country. 9,000 of them, 3,000 of us, and our numbers are climbing. So it doesn't take you long to figure out where this is all going to wind up. Now, exactly what that's going to look like, that remains to be seen. But we're about to do some unprecedented things in terms of stepping into the, to, to the mainstream of the profession. My concern and my hope is that uh, we'll be ready for that. Greg, how much time do I have? Half hour? Wow. Talk too fast. I need to slow down. <laughs> All right. So in 10 years, it looks like we're going to be at least 50% of the workforce. I think that's fair to say. It's entirely possible. We have issues coming up. We have issues present. We all are very clear that we want to maintain physicians to be under physician supervision, but we also know that change begets resistance. We have a lot of you guys. I talked to a lot of you. We have PAs who are real sure that it's against the law for PAs to do surgery on faces. Well, your doc can decide that you shouldn't do that. But there are no states that can tell you you can't do that. And there's no reason you couldn't do that. There are PAs doing lots. Now, I'm not saying everybody should want to do that. You may want to do other things. That's the kind of thing you get into, this resistance. You get these little pockets of everybody knows that PAs can't do this. It's always been that way, right? Those of us who came up through other, it's been that way in primary care. Oh, PAs, they can't do flex SIGs. How could a PA do a flex SIG? Well, I've done 3,000 now. It's been many years ago, but I learned and learned how to do it. PAs can do anything that the law allows and that their doc allows and that their talents allow. And that's true in dermatology, no less. You may choose to draw some lines. I don't, there are things I don't prescribe. I don't prescribe cyclosporine. Not because that's a terrible thing to do. I just don't want to come up to speed. I, don't, I leave the biologics to guys like Terry Arnold, who have gone to the trouble to learn about them. But PAs can do all of those things. But we're going to continue to have this resistance thing. You don't want to let that get you down too much. You've got to look at the net progress. We are making progress, very definitely, heavy-duty progress, as evidenced by this, among other things. Now, here's some challenges we're going to have. Here we have an issue, and it's not an issue that's, that can't be solved, but we have a lot of PAs getting right, coming right out of school, and they get into dermatology, and they never do anything except cosmetic derm. 
They wouldn't know a basal cell from a DFSP. From, they don't, that's not what they're trained to do. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. The issue comes about, are they going to be derm PAs? Are they going to be called derm PAs? Are they the same as the ones who do clinical derm? You've got the same struggle in, in, the, in the physician counterpart group. It goes on. The difference is they all get trained to do everything in the beginning. They may quickly forget all of it and go on to cosmetics, but they can claim common training. We can't claim that. So that's an area where we're going to have to work. We still have problems with egos. We still have it a lot of docs. I know a dermatologist. In fact, he's in this state. A lot of you know him. Some of you may work for him. Who will say flat out that PAs cannot diagnose a dermatological condition? Not, should not, cannot. He really believes in his little heart of heart. The PAs cannot do that. We're unable, we're incapable of doing that. And all of us know, most of us, 99% of us know or should know that that's so laughable that it makes you want to cry. And it's like, it's beyond laughable. But that ego thing for him is hard. He's a PhD, did a derm residency at a, at a fancy place back east, and he doesn't think much of common dermatologists, let alone PAs. So you can see where he's coming from. We have a few people like that out there. We still have a few that just think PAs are the devil's work. Some of them have a, what, what I call a guild mentality. It's like we're not teaching this stuff to anybody because this is a sacred body of knowledge. It's a guild we have there. Bricklayers don't teach just anybody how to lay bricks. Unless they join the union, unless they go through, they swear not to teach this to anybody else, they, we're not going to teach it. And you know some derms like that. They won't teach derm even to family practitioners. They want to keep them ignorant, so they have to refer everything. Uh, it's kind of sad. And they worry, their big worry with you is that you're going to learn dermatology, and then your course, you're going to take that back to primary care, right? Right? You're going to start doing derm in primary care. And I've tried to explain to them, it's like, no, there are many reasons why that's not going to happen. Not the least of which is we'll drop 20% of our salary. <laughs> we're going to make more money just like you make more money now than when you were a family practitioner. You know, we make more money than the average PA. We only do that if we stay in Durham. And the other thing is we want to stay in Durham because we want to be supervised by the relevant specialist. We want that status. We want the knowledge. We want to identify with them. We also have this problem, and I bet a lot of you could tell us a lot of stories. We have a lot of PAs getting into dermatology, and the doc doesn't know what the hell to do with you. You don't know what you're supposed to be doing. He didn't bother to find out. He didn't talk to any of his colleagues. You didn't bother to find out. We'll get the blind leading the blind there. And the PA's in there, and the first thing you know, the PA's functioning as a glorified MA. We have a situation like that near where I live right now. And the PA is about to, to have a very rude awakening. But she did not bother to go ask to find out what she was getting into. The doc didn't know what he was getting into. I think that's SDPA's province that we need to develop resources where people can go to those resources and call these people and say, hey, here's the situation, what do you think?
How about my contract? What should I be doing? But if you have friends getting into dermatology, you need to warn them too. Not warn them, but just say, listen, you need to know what you're doing. You need to know what you're getting into. Because I bet a lot of you, if we asked for a show of hands, which we're not, we'd, a lot of you would say, yeah, I've been through that. We have a lot of darn PAs getting into bad situations where they get little or no training and get thrown out in satellites. If you're in that situation and you think it's good, that's good. I don't know about argue with you, but uh, I can make you a pretty good uh, discussion about how that's not ideal. Not knowing what we can do and about financial issues, as I said, those are big issues. And here's the big thing also. A lot of PAs don't know how difficult derm is. Have you noticed that? A lot of them is like, especially if they're outside, especially, oh, well, I've done dermatology for years in family practice. And it's like, well, if you get into dermatology, you're in for a rude awakening there. You're going to find out the level at which you practiced was not where you're going to need to be. So we have, we have challenges, but they're not, they're, one, they're not ones that we can't overcome. We have proven ourselves. There's no, of that, there's no doubt. And you heard David Pariser, he is happy as a clam with his four PAs, and they save him immeasurable problems in the practice. Ray Cornelison, with his four PAs, he could not operate without them. He loves them. He loves that, the trust that he gets between he and the, and the PAs. And think about this. There are really not any, any, very many acceptable alternatives to us. They're not going to make more derm residency slots for MDs and DOs. The government's in charge of that, and the government can't, will not take family practice slots and eliminate those in favor of DERM. The political stars are not aligned to get that done. So it's going to stay the same. So we're the only acceptable alternative. We're loyal to the physician and the PA team concept. As far as I know, I've only heard one PA in 31 years ever utter a word about wanting to get away from physicians, and he got shut down in a hurry. I mean, he got shut up in a hurry. Naysayers are getting older. They're actually dying off. <laughs> what a concept. The curmudgeonly types, you know, just curmudgeon their way into retirement, and then their voice gets softer and softer, and the newer guys come along, and the egos sort of mellow out and things get better. So there's room for, lots of room for optimism. Some of these people we have to wait out. There's some people you might recognize right there. This little munchkin, is Gabe here for this meeting? No. Uh, this has been, I think this was Orlando whenever we were there last. It's been a few years ago. There's Gary and Gabe. I believe his wife, Gloria, I think that's you, isn't it, right there, yeah, Linda Finley, uh, and I'm ashamed that I'm, I'm having a senior moment about her name, What's her? Helena Fraser, ha how could I forget the Helena, and I can't tell who's on the other side, don't know who that is, this is in Orlando too, this has been several years ago. So, I'll wrap it up, and if anybody has questions, we can talk about it, but we've, we've come a long way. You guys are going to take it the rest of the way. We're going to be having elections come up. We're very anxious to have people step forward and get into leadership positions. 
What you don't want to do is look at your leadership as a bunch of power-hungry elitists because they're not. They're just people who stepped up and do a lot of the work. They know how it needs to run. They've learned the hard way. I, by the way, am not one of those people anymore. I'm out of the loop, and I should be out of the loop. You know, I've gotten old enough and out of it enough that I need to step aside. I need to step aside for people that know what's going on, who are willing to do the work and are able to do it, and you're going to have people step up, but uh, good luck with that.